Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we have a listener question today, I think. Uh, that's right. And uh, but before we get to it, though, I just want to share with our listeners something I'm very excited about, which is that I was a guest on Gene Kim's Ideal Cast, which was published this week. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And so if you've thought, you know, Jeff, we enjoy your podcast, but we'd like to hear even more, <laughs> then you can check that out. Uh, we'll say one thing, it's a very different format, which is that almost two hour conversation with Gene Kim. But it was a lot of fun to do. And uh, I hope our, our listeners uh, check it out and enjoy that as well. Fantastic. I know I plan to. Excellent. Well, let's get on to that listener question then, Jeffrey. What, what did uh, our listener ask us? Yep. This is a, a listener and actually a member of our Slack community. And so if people think they'd like to um, ask us questions and have interactions with other people who have listened to the podcast and have read the book, Agile Conversations, uh, then um, go ahead and get in touch and we can uh, invite you to our Slack channel. Because this is where we, we got this via Slack. And this is from uh, Horia. And he says, I've been rereading chapter four. And this is of Agile Conversations, which is the fear conversation chapter. I've been rereading chapter four, and this quote keeps bothering me. To prepare for the fear conversation, look for examples of a dangerous deviant norm in our organization. The question for me is, how does analyzing existing normalized deviance help us prepare for the fear conversation? And uh, you, you you jumped right in on, on Slack with an answer, Scrobo. I thought we could use the podcast this week to give a little bit more expanded version of that. And in, for people who haven't read the book, maybe you could explain a bit what, is, what do we cover in, in chapter four here, which what is what's the fear conversation about and how does normalization of deviance help us discuss it? I'll do my best, but you're going to have to help me, Jeffrey. Okay, so let's let's cover what some of the words are. So uh, fear, uh, I hope most people know what fear is, so I'm, I'm not going to give a big definition of it, uh, but it is one of the uh, major obstacles to a successful Agile transformation or DevOps movement or anything else that you might want to do. If your team is afraid, they are unlikely to take risks and try new stuff. That's not terribly revolutionary to say. The problem is, what on earth do you do about fear? So uh, we give several steps that are helpful, and we're going to focus on one of those. The others are things like, for example, coherence busting and improving conversational skills, which we cover in other parts of the book. So we won't talk too much about those. But once you've improved your conversational skills, once you've got to the stage where you're able to uh, approach the problem with curiosity and to say, gosh, we, we sure do seem to have some fear here. Where is it coming from? That's where normalization of deviance can come in and help you. And what is normalization of deviance? Well, the uh, kind of classic example from the uh, book by, I hope I'm getting her name right, Diane Vaughn, uh, on the Challenger disaster. That, that's the source that uh, uh, kind of defined the term, although it's used in lots of other places. The, the example there is the Space Shuttle Challenger. And uh, some of our listeners will be too young to remember it. I certainly remember being in school and hearing about uh, this explosion, which had a teacher on board. Uh, they were starting to send civilians into space. And uh, the uh, analysis afterward revealed a lot of uh, difficulties in the assessment of flight risk, and in particular, the assessment of the risk of flying the space shuttle on a cold morning when the temperature is at or below freezing. In fact, there are sort of, in retrospect, terrifying photographs of icicles forming on various um, objects near the, the launch pad. And it turns out that certain of the elements of the space shuttle didn't deal very well with freezing temperatures. And they expanded when they shouldn't, and they shrank when they shouldn't, and that led to an explosion. How did they get there? What's this got to do with normalization of deviance? Well, the engineers knew 
engineers were aware that there were significant risks to flying the space shuttle under certain conditions, including very cold ones. And they had been shouting, the risks here are one in 10, one in 100, you know, very high risk of something going wrong. And the managers had a norm which didn't match, which was get the space shuttle in the air, don't delay the launch. And by adhering to that norm, instead of the norm that the uh, agency uh, asserted that it followed, which was astronaut safety first, they put astronauts at risk and, in fact, uh, caused the explosion. So that's what normalization of deviance is. You, you get a, a different norm. The, the company begins, the organization begins to follow a sequence of steps, a, a set of actions, a pattern of action, which do not, does not match what it says it does. And the organization gets comfortable with that. Everybody knows, oh, yeah, well, we don't follow that. You know, our stand-ups, we, we don't really have them. We kind of have them when we need them. Retrospectives, yeah, you know, we, we, we had one, I think, a couple months ago. Yeah, that, that's something that we, we do when we need it. Uh, yeah, tests. Yeah, we really think tests are important. I haven't got so many. We're, we're really going to add some soon. Those would all be examples of normalization of deviance, and they are signals of fear. There's signals of fear. So that's really interesting because uh, I, I, I think people will uh, might be surprised by that because I, I, I think they'll, many of our listeners will recognize the kind of statements you described uh, sort of like, well, you know, we, I, yeah, I know we we're supposed to do retrospectives, but we haven't had one for a while. I know that's one I've, I've seen many times. Mm-hmm. What, what is, what's the fear? What's an, you know, can you give me an example of the kind of fear that might be behind that? Absolutely. I can give a couple of examples. So on, on that one specifically, there could be many fears. And this is the point that, and, and this is answering Horia's question, why is this thing, normalization of deviance, in the fear chapter? It's because it's a, a signal, it's a clue, it's a, uh, a breadcrumb trail that can lead you to fears which might help you. So if you, you kind of have the sense there's fear and you kind of have the sense there's normalization of deviance, but you haven't got it all hooked up together, figure out what fear is underlying a specific normalization of deviance. So in this example of retrospectives, you might be afraid of wasting time. You might be afraid of uh, discovering something, uh, making people uncomfortable because they'd have to discuss an uncomfortable topic. That squirrel guy, he's not very good at tests and, and that's why we haven't written very many and confronting that might be challenging, might lead to a difficult conversation with that guy squirrel. You might have to teach him how to write tests because he doesn't know. Uh, so those are the kinds of fears that you might have in the retrospective example. I've got a client who has this kind of situation uh, and, and is working hard to mitigate the fears. They have up on the wall various customer-themed statements about what they believe in, what is important to them, what they want to do. So they want their application to be fun. They want it to be uh, family-friendly. They want it to be um, easy and simple, and all kinds of uh, very natural, very nice, good things to say. In fact, if you go and look at their JIRA board, what they have on there is a whole bunch of tasks that have to do with making their lives easier and making uh, cost savings. So things like needing fewer people in the call center and uh, requiring um, fewer resources in order to offer their products, uh, uh, making their partners happy. Those are the things they're actually working on. And when you go ask somebody, they say, well, you know, if we didn't do this stuff for these partners, they would fire us and then we, we wouldn't be able to trade. We'd lose money. And so for them, it's the fear of losing money. It's the fear of trading challenges. A very rational fear, by the way, in the current circumstances with a pandemic on, lots of people are concerned about uh, losing money. So their fear isn't wrong or misplaced. The problem is that they continue to espouse the uh, uh, original norm, the original belief 
we make things that are wonderful for customers, fun, easy for kids, all kinds of stuff, but they actually act in a completely different way. And it's that disconnect that's the problem. You could mitigate it in many ways, including moving toward the, the norm that you're actually following rather than the one you espouse. But uh, continuing to hold both is where the danger comes. And that's where the fear conversation and mitigation of fear is helpful. I, I really enjoyed you bringing this up. And it's funny, what it, what it really brought to mind for me was an article I read many years ago that talked about safety on oil rigs <laughs> and that they, had, that they had, uh, uh, it was talking about Shell and that they had um, put in place a, uh, a program where they would teach people on how to uh, talk about their fears. Uh, and because that was, it had been a, uh, a barrier to safety that actually that, that by putting this in place and having people learn to talk about their fears, they had uh, improved their safety record by, I think it was something like 84%. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, National Public Radio uh, show that uh, where I came across this. And it, and it was it, to me it's a very similar thing, which is that uh, that was an example where people had a, a culture of like you're supposed to be tough, you're supposed to to work around these things. Um, you know what's what's wrong? How come you can't man up? And the result was that you know people people died. <laughs> they, yep. they they had terrible uh, accidents. So they're they in a very literally dangerous environment, and the. Uh, unwillingness to discuss their fears had these consequences. And what I like when we brought in this chapter then is being able to spot this gap between what we say we're going to do and what we actually do, and then tracing it back from our unwillingness um, either, I mean, to, to be motivated in some uh, um, consequence, but even just the idea of of the fear of of raising an issue, of being the only one to raise something. And and therefore uh, standing out from everyone else, that certainly uh, applied to me. Uh, uh, that certainly occurred to me as a, a direct application of this, as the the being able to identify what was different, and then using that. And this is, I think, this is the the key element in in the chapter is using that gap as a way to have the conversation. Indeed. And then we go on, of course, to, to give specific steps and advice about how to have the fear conversation about tools you can use to get your mindset right. That's coherence busting, for example, among others. And we talk extensively about what actually you can do because we, we, we hate it when business books tell you this is the problem and then don't tell you how to solve it. So we, we do work hard to make sure that there's some tools for that. But that's not our focus today. That's in the chapter if you want to read it or in various of our writings. But the focus today is on how do you even find out what's going on? And we've kind of illustrated here for Horia, I hope, how the normalization of deviance can help you kind of on the way in when you're starting to have the fear conversation and you're thinking, gosh, there's some fear around here. I don't know where it is. Or there's this uh, normalization of deviance. I don't know what it's coming from. Either way, the one can help you to get to the other. But it's also helpful on the way out. So once you've had the fear conversation, you've identified some things you can do to mitigate your fear. Hey, we're afraid of wasting time, so we're going to uh, get a, a clear message from the top brass about what we should be investing in long-term improvements, such as retrospectives. That might be our mitigation step. And then we could describe what our 
uh, our new norm will be? What will be the, the restored norm, if you like? What will we normalize toward that isn't deviant? And in that case, it could be, for example, um, ensuring that we invest X percent of our energy in long-term improvements, which include retrospectives. And we're going to get the top brass to help us understand what X should be. That would be just one example of uh, something that you could then even print out and put up on your wall to, to accompany whatever uh, uh, existing norm, like being kid-friendly or whatever it is uh, that's on your wall already uh, there, but you're ignoring. You could say these are the fears that sometimes hold us back from uh, expressing the, the other norms on this wall. And here is what how we would recognize that we are uh, acting in accordance with the espoused norms and what we say we are we're doing. For example, not necessarily we hold a retrospective every time, but that we hold a retrospective in line with the expectations of uh, the management of the company about long-term investments. This, this point of having established norms, of explicit norms, uh, as part of the outcome of a change is something I really like because it'll, it, I really like the, the way that it empowers people to then um, hold each other accountable for that for that element they're going to do. In fact, uh, to, to, re, to relate this back to the Gene Kim podcast, one element in there that we were discussing, uh, I had a, a bit of a discussion of when I was learning extreme programming and was first on a team that was doing pair programming. And we were I was having a conversation with my pair and we got to a point where we said, well, you know, what should we do now? And what he said is, you know, what we what we could do, and I'm not saying we should, <laughs> but if we were brave, what we do now is write a test. <laughs> this is, we were very early in, in learning TDD and kind of working out those practices uh, amongst ourselves. And that idea of saying, he could hold that up and say, remember, this is, this is what we've signed up for. If, if I'm, you know, I'm not saying we should do it, but this is what we said we were going to do. And that really helped us to take that next step and say, yeah, actually, that is what we said we we're going to do. It's, it's not the easiest thing for us to do right now. It's not the most natural thing because we haven't yet built those TDD muscles that writing a, a test now for me would seem like the obvious next step. But at the time that was, that I wasn't yet there, but holding up that norm, remember we said, this is what we're going to do, uh, allowed us to, to, to follow through and do what we said we were going to do because he, he could hold it up as a, as the example. So it was a, a great example of this kind of principle you're describing of having the, uh, not just the, the mitigation, but then also the norm that where the mitigation is the embodiment of it, of it that you can use to hold up, to remind yourself for what you said you were going to do. I really like that. Excellent. Well, Gloria, I hope that's been helpful so that you can use normalization of deviance as a way to find fears and to identify things that you might want to mitigate in, in sort of your fear portfolio. You're always going to have fears, but, but which ones are you mitigating? Which ones are discussable? Normalization of deviance, looking for it can help you find those or the fears can help you to understand the normalization of deviance you know about. And it's helpful for setting a norm and saying this is where we're going to go to that is not deviant. So that exactly as Jeffrey did, you can be brave and say, we're going to hold that retrospective. We're going to write that test. And having those explicit and discussable often allows the team to overcome their fears and act differently. Sounds fantastic. Uh, that's great. I'm, I'm really happy we could uh, give an extended answer on that. And uh, I hope that everyone enjoyed this. And uh, can any more questions, we'd love to, to hear from you, um, either on Slack or Twitter or LinkedIn or email, any of the places you can get a hold of us. 
And you can get all of those things on conversationaltransformation.com or agileconversations.com. They all go to the same place. So if you can't remember, just find us and uh, go to our websites and you'll, you'll find all this material and ways to get in touch with us, which we really like, like when Horia did that for us to give us a topic for today. And of course, if you hit the subscribe button, we'll be back next week and you can hear us again. Your app of choice will tell you that we're here and we'll be talking to you again about troubleshooting Agile. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.